You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the fabulous 54 Below. Before we get started this evening, just a polite reminder, please take this moment to silence your cell phones, and also there is no flash photography, please. Welcome to the 54 Below podcast. I'm Megan Prickett, the club's assistant programming director. Our guest today is West End actress and comic Ellie Nunn. Ellie was most recently seen in the brand new British musical Identical, based on the iconic movie The Parent Trap, and is bringing her sellout show Ellie Nunn Sings Sondheim at People to 54 Below for her New York City debut. Ellie Nunn, welcome to the podcast. Hello. We are so excited to have you today. How are you? I am great. I'm not going to lie. It's way past my bedtime. <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's like 10 p.m. here in the oh UK. Oh my gosh. I right. You are tea on across the, the pond, as they say. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'm oh so, my goodness. If I fall asleep mid-podcast, don't take it personally. Just a, <laughs> it's a very sleepy old woman. We'll just slowly fade out. <laughs> yeah, I feel like we could double this with like sleep stories on Headspace, where you like slowly oh, lull people. I'd Maybe love we to could do, do a little ASMR, you know. Oh, I'm waiting for someone to hire me to do that instead of my yeah, solo I shows. Like, <laughs> I feel like there has to be a crossover between Sondheim and ASMR. There has to be a little, you know. It's, he's so all of his stuff is so wordy. You know, there's got to be some, like some Sondheim ASMR somewhere. I guess maybe that's the problem. Maybe maybe if you tried to ASMR a patter song, you sort of take out the the slow right. swell. But you could I bet you could ASMR the crap out of sending the clowns. Oh yeah. Oh, that would be great. Imagine the end of each of those words where it's like, isn't it rich? <laughs> that would be incredible. And instead of an oboe, you could just have a little recorder. That would be Lovely <laughs> or horrific, one or the other. <laughs> anyway, welcome. Much like my for, show. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for staying up for us tonight. Um, we're uh, very excited for your show. Um, I was reading the show description and doing a little bit of research earlier, and I'm like, this sounds completely wackadoodle, and I cannot wait. <laughs> there may or may not be hand puppets. It's that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> I welcome it. I support it. I can't wait. Um, well, I just have to ask, starting out, um, how does it feel to be bringing this show to New York City? This, I think I can safely say, is the most special thing to happen so far in my illustrious career. Um, <laughs> because my love for New York City goes so deep. I always say, I think even in my first emails to 54 Below, I described myself as, as I was like, I was meant to be a New Yorker. Something went wrong. Like someone <laughs> missed the memo and somehow I ended up a Londoner my whole life. But my spiritual home um, is very much Greenpoint. And um, it's just my Love favorite it. place, especially pre-Christmas. The tacky tinsel's up. I'm at Finkel's. I'm like, it's it's where I feel the most myself. And, um, and I come like twice a year. Mm -hmm. And to be honest with 54 Below, it was always a bit of a pipe dream. I had a, a very sweet family friend once say, oh, you know, you should, 
you should, I have a friend of a friend who sings and they did a, a, a show at somewhere called um, 54 Below. You should, you should just do your show there. And I was like, oh, that's, that's so sweet that you, <laughs> you think one just like, one does not simply walk into right, 54 right. Below. And here I am doing it. I've somehow tricked the people <laughs> into letting me come and do my show there. It's the dream. And do you know, do you want to know why it's like the dream of all dreams? Please tell me. 54 Below specifically. Mm -hmm. We know this is the home of Broadway legends. Mm -hmm. We know that this is uh, a sort of sanctuary for Broadway performers. But far more importantly, this is where Luanne de Lesseps (laughs) made her initial breakthrough moment as the cabaret star that she is and to be treading those same boards Mm -hmm. is the biggest privilege of my career oh my goodness well i have to say i have worked with her many times so (gasps) when you're here we're going to we'll have a whole dish about the fabulous countess luad i mean you know she's going to be here just like a month later i know Um, well it was suggested to me that i should ask her to guest but I was worried that she'd upstage me because she would. But I was like, don't we need to hear her doing Could I Leave You or something? Could I Absolutely. Leave you? Uh, oh. Countess, Countess Luana's Phyllis and Follies, oh sign God. me up. I am so here for that. I, could, I feel like we could talk for an hour or many hours about just casting <laughs> Housewives as various Sondheim as roles. Sondheim roles. So That's we'll have to save that show. for when you're here because we're just gonna, we could really, uh, it, that would be chaos. Um, no, I, I, I love that. But yes, this is where, this is where the Countess Cabaret began. And now look, it's like this huge, it's a moment. I feel she walked so I could run. Yeah. <laughs> I feel. That's incredible. I will that be is incredible. taking, I, I see her bongo playing and I raise her. <laughs> Uh, hand puppets and audience interactions. There we go. There we go. They go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. Absolutely. Well, I um, <laughs> am curious to know, you know, you've performed the show um, in London. Um, how do you feel, you know, I know that the preparation for the two shows could be similar, but bringing the show to New York, what are you anticipating will change about the show and your performance um, on, for New York audiences and on the stage here in New York? versus um in london um well in london because i've been performing it for quite a while uh Mm -hmm. it's sort of become a a sort of sellout show at the crazy cox and i I don't know anyone in new york so i'm mainly anticipating performing it to no one Mm -hmm. uh but besides the empty auditorium of 54 below (laughs) my (laughs) that i will be heavily preparing for um no, in all seriousness, uh, I feel a lot of pressure. I think my relationship to Sondheim and and connection to his work across my life has felt so personal. But you you really um, you really have to take note when you're coming to the birthplace of so much of his work and. Um, his presence is so felt in New York City mm-hmm. in yes. a way that we don't perhaps have unless you're in a particularly theater-centric location of of London. Mm-hmm. It's not quite the same. It's not woven into the fabric of the city in the same way. 
So I feel that as a pressure, but I think because the show is so personal to me and this like weird, lonely little English girl's relationship to his work, um, that acts as a sort of protection for me in the show rather than uh, implying that you're coming along and sort of just presenting one's <laughs> interpretation of his music. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, no, I, I understand exactly what you're saying. And, you know, as you said, feeling his presence. I mean, we have three huge productions of his works happening right now in New York City. You know, we have the Sweeney Todd revival. We have the Merrily We Roll Along revival. And then his final project um, playing at the shed here in the city. So it's it's his presence is still very much felt. And, you know, I know that on the West End right now, they have the old friends um, musical, you know, kind of tribute. Have you been able to see that yet? I have. Yeah. I actually went with Helena Bottom Carter the other night. So, <gasps> oh, that's fabulous. What a date. I know. I think yeah. everyone thought we were launching our new relationship. Um, <laughs> I did go and see it. And you know what I found so moving was to think how extraordinary that a show entirely celebrating the work of Stephen Sondheim has an audience for it to run for months in the West End, because it's mm -hmm. one thing to do a one-off celebration sure. for an evening. Mm -hmm. But I think it's pretty extraordinary that his work has a big enough reach and has touched enough people to have an entire run celebrating just the one yeah. composers. And honestly, the band, to hear his m music in particular, um, mm -hmm played that extraordinarily i mean for me the highlight of that entire concert is the merrily overture in its oh full my god form. We, i i did um merrily we roll along when i was at university and we didn't have the overture it started it had some bleak kind of student opening where like frank was gonna like take drugs and so it was like no no overture we will start on a blank stage oh my like a gosh. jamie lloyd production uh, sure <laughs> and so i always have like a particular soft spot for the for the overture and for that show generally yeah so I'm, I'm hoping to catch it while i'm over i was about to ask you if you're going to be able to see it when you're here i have been watching so much about it and mm -hmm. i'm very protective of merrily we rolled along as anyone who's been in any student or amdram production of a show mm -hmm. and for some reason yes. feels they have license to forever be like it wasn't as good i as understand ours. Mm -hmm. and what i love watching interviews with the three leads. First of all, I just love Lindsay Mendes and um, Me too. I'm just so glad she's playing it because I feel so protective of that part and mm -hmm. of the, of like who should be playing it. And I just think she's extraordinary, but the friendship between those three and the, the joy, I really feel that that production has capitalized very cleverly on, on the most powerful element of that show, which is, that to be honest, if you invest in the friendship of the trio and if you care about the friendship and you invested the actors portraying that friendship, it almost doesn't really matter what the rest of the show's yeah. like set or does I know it's awful to say, and I'm not saying that all of that other stuff isn't amazing, Absolutely. but if you right. don't invest in that central relationship, it doesn't it won't it can't be saved by anything else. I I totally agree. And I, I have to tell you, I just saw it um two weeks ago. Yeah. 
And I also, I, I was introduced to the show in college and have loved, loved, loved it ever since. And, you know, I, I went two weeks ago and I, you know, my expectations were very high, but I also just, just to hear the score and to watch that show live, I was almost just, you know, like whatever let's, I'll see any production of it, but it is, it really is close to perfection. I just, to be, sur- to be in an, an audience filled with people laughing at those clever lyrics and the jokes and, you know, crying and sniffling during those really heartbreaking moments. I'm like, and this, to think that it was just this massive flop when it premiered. What's so extraordinary is the book is so good. It's one of the best books of any uh, musical I've ever been in. And I think generally mm-hmm. that James Lapine and sometimes book collaborators don't get enough credit for how integral they are to the success of his work. Uh, mm-hmm. But Merrily Truly is the closest to doing a play with songs. Absolutely. And I agree. the songs come so organically and beautifully out of the scenes. Um, I heard a great story uh, the, the three leads were telling the other day about one night when Dan Radcliffe finished Franklin Shepherd Inc. and someone in the audience shouted, um, was like shouting, bravo, bravo. And they were like, who is that? And it was Mandy Patinkin. And what's so funny about that is that when we did our student production, we finished Now You Know, and someone in the audience went, oh, yeah, before anyone clapped. And we were like, who is that? And it was Maria Friedman, director of this production of Marilyn. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So I thought, what a wonderful, like, mirroring. (laughs) That is and course, in, that is an incredible. She story. was entirely inspired by uh, me and my performance. And she was. Um, I think she she said that. Did she not? I think she, I think she will be saying it when she collects the Tony and Lindsay Mendes as well will be saying yes to yes. my original Mary, <laughs> <laughs> unknown English actress Eleanor. Thank you. <laughs> I love it. I love it. No, it's it's a, it's such a special show, and we're we're totally gonna get we're gonna get more into that later. Um, going back to the cabaret scene just because i'm very unfamiliar with the cabaret scene in london versus you know obviously i work here in new york i live here and the cabaret scene is is huge here and we have several cabaret venues and including 54 below obviously and i'm curious to know um your opinion on how different it is from from that of the mm-hmm. new york cabaret scene cuz i'm you know what can you tell us about the scene over in london and how it compares I would say it's very different in terms of, I think the competition is less fierce, hence why I've had the level of success I have. Just in, and I don't, I'm, for once, that's not even a joke, but mm-hmm. I think that we have less of a culture of not just of, of musical theatre performers performing cabaret, but of people who specifically their skill set is to, uh, hold an audience and talk to an audience and connect songs to themselves. I think it's a very different thing. What we do have quite often is, is performers will do like a night somewhere singing some of their favorite songs. It's great, which is lovely. But I think the art of cabaret, the art of creating a, a, as authentic as possible, a version of yourself and connecting to an audience and connecting your personal experiences to songs and I remember Philip Quast saying to me once that in order for a cabaret to be justified you must have a a take on those songs there's no point if you're just singing 
the songs. There has to be a reason that it makes it yours specifically. Right. Um, and I don't think we have that as much over here. Uh, I mean, we have the, the main venues are, um, the pheasantry and then the big one is crazy Cox in Brasserie Zadell and it's beautiful. And it, it's sort of the 54 below of London. And I adore it. I adore the team there and the, the shows that go on. Um, but I'm definitely, I'm excited to be a part of the legacy of sort of New York cabaret. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I would like to do far more because I do think it's more celebrated. I think generally you guys, the, the propensity to celebrate and lift people up is a much bigger thing in America and not to talk too badly about like my own culture, but I think that there is a, a cynicism to, I mean, I know we're talking about New York and New York is obviously like famously <laughs> deeply cynical, <Yeah. laughs> but I think that there's like an, an English, um, it's not very cool to care and it's not, mm-hmm. uh, there's quite a pessimistic approach that means, um, someone once put it to me brilliantly where they said, you could ask an American actor who hasn't worked for seven years, who's working in a cafe, what they do. And they'd be like, Oh, I'm an actor. And you could ask an English actor who's in a show in the West end at the moment, what do you do? And they'd be like, um, well, I sort of try, I try and act if someone will let me, but like, I don't, it's awful. Like, <laughs> so if anything, I'm preparing, I'm hoping that like, even just the way that audiences in New York or in, across the US, like vocally love theater and appreciate theater and mm-hmm. the, um, I think you feel the relationship with an audience much more. For sure, for sure. And it's so interesting to be having this conversation with you because I just had a very similar conversation in a previous episode with Francis Raffel because oh. Francis Raffel is a, a darling, I mean, incredible person. I cannot wait for their show. But, you know, she and I were talking with Norman Bowman. You know, they're doing their cabaret here together, yes. Frankie and Bosey, in November. And we were talking about cabaret and she was kind of telling me as a very seasoned cabaret performer her kind of philosophy on cabaret she said you know anyone truly can can sing through their dream roles or their resume or you know songs they like but to to really take a a a, take a cabaret show and and put it together in a way where it flows it maybe doesn't have to have necessarily a strong narrative but to have more of a theatrical piece rather than just song 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 absolutely and and you want to take the audience on a journey it's essential and it's why it's very hard to explain to people sometimes without you know sounding too wanky Mm -hmm. i get asked to do the show sometimes where people say about can you cut you know, three or four songs to make it shorter or whatever. And I don't think people sometimes understand that the place, everything is very carefully. You can't have sort of too many of this style of song next to this style. And this Mm -hmm. has to get people into this place. And we have to like leave people in a certain place. And God, it's so funny. I actually just did the show on a cruise around Europe Mm -hmm. and the pianist um, basically couldn't play the songs because they'd never played Sondheim. They'd never seen Sondheim and oh, they'd only wow. been given the music the day before. And the show is something like 14 songs. And I, the, <laughs> the head of entertainment said, well, 
you'll have to just only play the ones he can play. So we did six. Uh, <laughs> and I had to fill for the other 45 <laughs> minutes. Just talk. Because <laughs> I only had six songs <laughs> for the show. Oh, my um, gosh. Frances Raffel, I mean, talk about, like, someone paving the way. I mean, sh- and she uh, really is is one of the reasons why I got into cabaret in the first place, because I remember mm. she's been a family friend since I was little, and then I went to see her cabaret at Crazy Cox um, years ago, and it was extraordinary. And, uh, and, and she gave me wonderful advice when I started out with mine of just saying, now the, the challenge is you just do it as much as possible. You do it to three people in a basement. You just mm-hmm. keep the muscle going, working a bit, because if you get too much in the habit, I, I was very stuck in the habit of each time I did a cabaret, it had to be a totally new show. Mm. And I was like, cause I started, they started out being Gordelli and sing songs at people mm-hmm. and, uh, and because I did stand up as well, I felt like, well, I can't tell the same jokes again. And only, I think the Sondheim show is the first time over the last few years that I started to do the same show again and again. Yeah. Uh, as like a set piece. Wow. Well, going back just a bit, you know, I know that you do come from a bit of a showbiz family. And so, no. <laughs> um, so I, I'm just interested to um, talk a bit about your um, upbringing with your family and how, you know, that showbiz bug bit you at first. Was this always something you wanted to be a part of? Was it, did you always just kind of know you would fit into this this sort of showbiz world or did you fight it? I still don't think I fit in. Uh, (laughs) No, no. It was very much a a don't put your daughter on the stage. Um, Ah. Sort of uh, my parents really, really actively tried to dissuade me from doing this. And Mm -hmm. it's funny. I'm 32. And really this year is the first time I've started to, to truly understand why, because it's always been hard, but the older you get and the more, oh, I mean, last month, I, I just got down to the final two for my sort of dream role in the West End and it doesn't go your way. And you sob with a kind of grief <laughs> that I thought I get why my parents didn't want me to do this because actually yeah. the the slow sort of chipping away, it really the resilience it takes. I always assumed they didn't want me to do it because they didn't think I was quite good enough. And actually realizing that no one wants to see someone mm. they love have to again and again, just go, it, yeah, it just didn't, it's, it's not, it's just not fair or it's just not you or it's just whatever. Uh, but the way I got into this um, was very much a, a product of the exposure to theater and to have the opportunity. I mean, my parents didn't want me to do this. They certainly didn't encourage me, but what a privilege to grow up watching cats and lamers again and again and again and Starlight Express. Like these, I oh feel so lucky <laughs> to have been at a time where theater was such an event. Like, yeah. Can you like imagine? Like I think back to Starlight Express, which the lyrics are so bad, and it, it's <laughs> really if you did the show on its own is like terrible. But I love it. Mm-hmm. But the oh, same. the 
scale of it and the yeah. the adrenaline. I mean, and so, and so I actually, I think I wanted to be a dancer because what kid didn't watch Cats and go like, oh. <laughs> I'm going to do that. I'm, I was like, exactly. I'm going to. I'm going to play Bombelli Arena and that's right. that. I was and... a big Skimble Shanks fan. I just knew I was going to be <laughs> Skimble Shanks one day. And how heartbreaking <laughs> was it the moment when you realized that you weren't? And it's like, it was quite late. Earth shattering. I was in my like, 20s. I think when <laughs> no, I was like, oh. It happened yesterday for me, actually. I was like, <laughs> dang, it's really not going to happen. It's funny because I still think of myself as a dancer. Mm-hmm. Because because I do plays as as well as musical theatre, I didn't actually intend to do musical theatre particularly. When I'm in a play, everyone's like, you're an amazing dancer. And I'm like, thank you so much. And then <laughs> you rock up to movement rehearsals in a musical and everyone's like laughing or being like, I'm like, oh, I didn't realize I was the joke. (laughs) And now I do. (laughs) So, yeah, in my head, I'm still an amazing dancer. But the, yeah, to to grow up around those shows and, um, and, and just backstage, I mean, when I was really young, my dad was running the National. So I spent a lot of my childhood just like backstage at the National and just running around. And, and I think that can't not seep in, um, but actually with Sondheim, my my love of his work didn't come from my parents at all. It came from uh, a, a mad singing teacher I had um, who would come to my house on Saturday mornings. She was one of our next door neighbors. And she brought a trunk of Sondheim librettos. I was about eight. Wow. And I just went off and every week listened to the cassettes of Sweeney Todd and Company and Into the Woods and I had the the books of the musical, not the scores. Mm-hmm. So I was reading right. them like plays. Mm-hmm. And I would just sit on my bedroom floor and write the lyrics out into notebooks and wow. dress up as the characters. And and it was amazing because no one my age knew that. So it felt completely mine and personal yeah. to me. And I think a lot of musical theatre performers had a similar relationship to Sondheim and almost struggled in his passing to realize that they weren't the only person who had that special connection. I felt really overprotective when (laughs) everyone was like tweeting lyrics of his and I was like, you don't know, man. Like I had this real sense of, I think how extraordinary that his work made people feel like so individually seen. Yes. There's something to be said about that. That's really, that's really special. Because you can't say that about just anyone. No, I mean, it's, it's cliche to sort of say you have sort of Shakespeare and Sondheim, but what they share is this universality Mm -hmm. and this observation of the kind of human form and psyche that touches things where you think how did he know how did Sondheim know what it's like to be a bitter resentful heartbroken 50 year old woman or (laughs) like how did he write so well for women I know and how can you write so such eviscerating work on pulling relationships apart and heartbreak and his cynicism over marriage and you think okay I we've got it we get how you feel Mm -hmm. and then come in with even things I know he hated them but even like the lyrics to 
tonight or West Side Story and stuff like that. And you think the romanticism and the, the belief and the, the faith in love. And you're like, how yeah. could you have both and contain both? Because we do. And it's extraordinary. It is. It is. We, I want to talk so much more with you about Sondheim and the inspiration for your show. So we are going to take a quick break and we're going to be back with Ellie Nunn after a few short messages. And we are back with Ellie Nunn talking about her upcoming performance. Ellie Nunn sings Sondheim at People on Tuesday, November 28th at 54 below, 9.30 p.m. Get your tickets. Um, Ellie, Oh my God, again, back. it's going to be way past my bedtime. I feel like <laughs> <laughs> right. these things happening right. so late. <laughs> yes. So um, this upcoming um, Sondheim tribute performance, if I could call it, that you um uh, at 54 below um what can the audience expect from this performance besides strange props um mm -hmm. i would hope that it has an arc and journey of both growing up and that personal connection to his work that so many of us felt um mm -hmm. i don't think it's too specific to uh, take that away from anyone. And I hope that people would come away with having experienced thoughtful, brave and intelligent interpretations of his work, because I think that's the best that we can ever hope to do for his work. And I think when it comes to me, the, the focus is really on lyric and it always has been. I've mm -hmm. always had this lifelong obsession with lyrics. And I actually went to LA when I was 13 on a lyric writing course and recorded an album under the pseudonym Kid Lel. The more you know. <laughs> we'll have to find that. <laughs> the first song was a rap. It was just awful. But I really, I really, there was a period in my life when I thought I wanted to write lyrics. And sometimes I feel that in celebrating his work, the lyrics come second to very faithful uh, following of his music. And, you know, mm -hmm. I understand his music is hard and it's complicated and absolutely it requires respect, but I'm very interested in a perform uh, as a performer. I think because I said I come from a background in, in plays, mm -hmm. in treading that line between that heightened form and that naturalism and speech quality that for me, is all about connecting to what it's saying. Um, and so I would hope people came away potentially saying, I've, I've never listened to the lyrics like that before. Wow. They can expect magic. <laughs> <laughs> Sheer theater magic. And magic's what they're going to get. <laughs> um, speaking of uh, Sondheim's lyrics and how, you know, no one had a way with words quite like Stephen Sondheim. Um, and forgive me for asking this question, but what is, if you had to pick just off the top of your head, what's one of your favorite lyrics of his? Or an <laughs> example or two? I know that's like the yeah, hardest I question. I have to say two. <laughs> okay. I think, I think it's about, uh, for me with lyric, it always comes down to uh, universality versus specificity. Mm -hmm. So the genius with lyrics, uh, with his comedy and with his wit, um, 
actually, it doesn't even have to be witty, but you take something like Moments in the Woods, the specificity of things like makes the awe mean more than it did before. And, mm -hmm. the, the, you know, that is so, we're zoomed so far in on the vowels there and the consonants and and those are what make his lyrics clever. Yes. And so I have many favorite clever lyrics. Um, and then you have his universality and you have these lyrics where he, the, the cut through the simplicity of an observation. Uh, and for me, the number one has always been careful before you say, listen to me, children will listen. Mm. It's just so simple. It is. And, and it just, it, it devastates me every time. Oh, and it, isn't it amazing how he, he could say so much with so little. And that's something that always has really fascinated me with his lyrics because he, ha you know, he'll have a lyric such as that one, which it means everything, but he's, it's so yeah. simply put, not that it's not brilliant and intelligent, but it's just very simply put like those lyrics and it can mean so much. You can walk away with so much um, from those lyrics. And oh, it's, it's like every lyric yeah. of no one is alone or oh, I, I yeah. think into the woods has a lot of my favorite. I, I think mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. of the relationship to parents and the relationship the mm -hmm. the one that always catches me off guard, how much it devastates me is no more. And oh, uh, right. I teach sometime at Lambda mm -hmm. over here, the drama school. And one of the students sang no more and three students got so upset they had to leave the class and one of them had to go home oh. <laughs> that happened quite a lot with my class where people people were just like sobbing you did your like, job as an so educator <laughs> i was like they need to know life's hard but that yes. song um every time when when it again we go specificity versus um universality the build of all of that um can't can't we just can't we just something our lives what is the word there can't we just pursue our lives with our children and our children. wives mm -hmm. till that happy right. day arrives? How do you ignore? And all that build of the first and the first, da, 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 the reverses, the wondering what even next is still in store. And you're just like specificity, specificity. And then that silence. And then that bit when it goes, all the children. Mm. And it kills me. I don't yeah. even know what it means. <laughs> I don't even know why he says all the children in that moment. But the children. But it's exactly <laughs> the thing. But it's like, but oh, it, I've gone. But that's that's kind of you know what I was saying earlier. It what does it mean? But it means everything. Everything, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's it's wild. Well, is there a, a certain song? And of course, we don't want to spoil too much or give too much away. But is there a certain song in um your your performance, your show that um really speaks to you or moves you in a, in a special way that you're performing here at Fifty Four Below? I think um. I'm having an interesting time rewriting the sort of chat before being alive because mm -hmm. my show, when I was single, I would talk quite openly and, you know, quite, I feel quite vulnerable opening up to an audience about 
how much shame I had around the fear of being alone and how much I wanted to just be this like really fierce, girl independent woman and how the pressure I felt to, to be so fine with that. But deep down this fear of what if maybe everyone doesn't find someone and what if I am never seen by someone. My life doesn't matter to someone in that way. Uh, it was it was great. It was really everyone's like sobbing, <laughs> and then and then you think being alive. It's like bah, yeah. Now uh, I'm in a relationship, and I have this really interesting thing that I actually feel I understand the song better, mm. which I was not expecting, but actually. The, the, in a way, there's nothing more, fr- like the one thing more frightening than being alone is being with someone. And that has definitely spoken to me in new ways of realizing that the fear of putting your faith in someone and risk and being seen, all this time I was so scared about not being seen. Mm-hmm. And actually being seen is so scary. <laughs> and life is so hard. <laughs> Doing yeah. that with someone is really hard. Right. And right. Uh, so that song, I just think how amazing, and it's a cliche because it's so famous, but it never stops giving new things. And it mm-hmm. never, I never Absolutely. stop learning from it. I never stop hearing lyrics fresh and going, God, I've never even listened to that. Um, that line in that way or so that one's always special and I I love sending the clowns because I think it's one of the most misunderstood songs in musical theatre I think it's often mistaken for this very heavy pathos heavy Mm-hmm. melancholic song Definitely. and I think there's such a lightness to it in its embarrassment and in its um god we all know what that feels like when you've just put yourself out there and mm-hmm. you just want to die and you just think oh my god please go away and stop looking at me <laughs> and <laughs> don't look that's at me. an extraordinary don't thing to be captured so that's always one of my favorites because a lot of people I think have uh are familiar with a much kind of like more uh, languid version. Yes. Yeah. And that's, Send in the Clowns has always been one of my favorites as well. And it's it, it, something about, you know, you said putting yourself out there multiple times. Sometimes you just can't be devastatingly sad about it. Sometimes there is just that kind of light <laughs> embarrassment. And that's Send in the Clowns to me. <laughs> yeah. Because, exactly. you know, the clowns are on their way. They're on their way. <laughs> Here. <laughs> so we've talked about um, some of your favorite uh, Sondheim lyrics. We're going to do a little lightning round here. This is not going to be easy, but if you had to pick favorite Sondheim show. I, I, sorry. I thought you were going to be like, now what are your least favorite? Oh, <laughs> never. Like, I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> oh, I've got it. It's maybe he's a farmer. It's a terrible lyric. Every time I sing, there won't be trumpets. I'm always like, what do I do with this? Maybe he's a farmer. <laughs> Wait, that's so funny. Oh my gosh. I'm like, come well, on, Steve. There now. was something better there. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Lightning oh round. Great stuff. <clears throat> favorite Sondheim show. 
Oh, it's too hard. Um, I know. It's too hard, like merrily for having been in it, but Mm -hmm. into the woods for watching it. Mm. If it's done well. Duh. I mean, that goes for all of these. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Sondheim dream roll. Uh, Dot. Love. Love. What a great role. Because Sunday would be my favorite score, I think. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Dot. Yeah, I mean, that's... And especially with, you know, a hand puppet as as George. You know, (laughs) there's got to be something there. Every every female sometime role I play, the man will be a hand puppet. So I'll be like, Baker's wife, Baker hand puppet. Mm -hmm. Charlotte, Magnus, hand puppet. (laughs) Dot, George hand puppet. I'll do them all. Absolutely. <laughs> I Ali love Ash it. is leaving. Mrs. Lovett, Sweeney has something. It's great. It. <laughs> I know you all think who's going to take over. They're not expecting an unknown British lady and a hand puppet. And a hand puppet. But you have to control both, obviously. You know, you have to play. Of course. It's, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, <laughs> in, the, in your show description, I know you say, or I know it, it reads, there won't be trumpets. There might be sock puppets. Which I just think is, first of all, hilarious. Um, but can you tell us just a little bit about where the hand puppet of it all came from? Where did the <laughs> shtick begin we with you? Did you go it. through like puppetry uh, no, classes, or I don't know no. why I did it. I, there are so many patter songs mm-hmm. that I could have done, and for some reason, this bearing in mind, I started doing this show like five years ago, and for some reason, mm-hmm. I was like, no, I, I want to do not getting married today but I wanted to all three parts. Right. And as you should. <laughs> for some reason, I was like, I think it'd be really funny if I had hand puppets of the priestess and the husband, the groom. And my friend is like the number one puppet designer in the UK. And he was like, <laughs> I'll make them for you. <laughs> so they're made by That's him, amazing. which is funny because they are just sock puppets, but, mm-hmm. but just funny that they're made by someone really qualified. <laughs> Um, and they've been everywhere with me. They came on the cruise. They came. They've been to Crazy Cox. Now they're coming to New York. I promise yeah, they're, they're, only, they're only in the one number. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, if you were going to do a whole, you know, like Muppets Sondheim crossover, I would not be at all upset. Honestly, I've that should have happened somewhere. <laughs> I've definitely considered doing Weekend in the Country by myself with lots of hats. Um, I like a challenge. <laughs> I, I support it. I'm I'm so excited for this show, and I, you know, you can bring in all the puppets, even if it's not just for one number. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can have a drink with the puppets after if you like. Uh, thank you. That uh, that means a lot. <laughs> You're welcome. Well, Ellie, can you tell us where we, or tell our listeners where we can find you on social media? Yes, absolutely. Um, I'm on Instagram at Ellie Nunnery. Uh, that's where I'm mainly based. I'm on Twitter mm-hmm. somewhere as well, probably under Ellie Nunnery as well. Uh, mm-hmm. And um, oh god, I have little to no social media presence. I'm a very that's boring okay person, Megan. I'm just <laughs> well, that, just that just means that everyone's English going to have to sometimes, and it's very. <laughs> well, funny. that just means all of our listeners are going to have to purchase a ticket for Ellie Nunn sing Sondheim at people Tuesday, Come on, November twenty. Make me a star. Make me a star. 
Let you want to follow me on social star. media? Make me a star. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. Well, thank you so much for um for staying up with us tonight. Yeah, and, I'm um, straight to bed now. <laughs> <laughs> She's cranky. You're sleeping until November 28th when you'll be doing your show with us at 54 Below. <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you again so much, Ellie. This has been a blast, and we really cannot wait for this show. So Sondheim lovers, get your tickets. You have to come see the show. Lovely chatting with you. Amazing. Lovely chatting with you, too. See you soon. Bye. You've been listening to the 54 Below podcast, part of the Broadway Podcast Network. To find out more about our upcoming shows, visit us at 54below.org. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.